we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes. And this morning, we desire to seek and find what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God first. Here's the word of the Lord for us as we approach His presence. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Yet this is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. 
For what advantage has the, wicked, has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking God to bless his word? Father, as we approach you to hear your word, we ask that you would speak to our hearts in a way that you alone know how to do so, by your word and by your spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. Friends, this is a longer passage that we read this morning. I wonder as we read it, I wonder if you noticed any repeated words or themes in this text. I wonder if you noticed um, the many references to either possessions or goods or riches or wealth. Did you notice them as we were reading? I wonder if you also noticed uh, another uh, reference, another idea that seemed to come often in this passage, the idea of not being satisfied, not being able to enjoy the goods of this life. Look at, look at verse 10, in, in chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Then I'll go all the way to the end of the text we read, verse, chapter 6, verse 7, and then verse 9. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Do you see a common theme in these verses? It's the reality of, of not being satisfied. Living life with a sense of dissatisfaction. Life with a sense of, I'm still not, I'm still not happy where I am. There's so much more I'd like to, to do, I'd like to have, I'd like to experience. If I could just get there, if I could just have this promotion, if I could just have this other job, I could just finish my college years and, and sort of finally get a job that I could live life and be able to pay for my bills and enjoy the things I really look forward to enjoying in life. Friends, why do people live life with a, a, a lack of satisfaction? And of course, you have all the, all the advertisements that sort of feed on the things you still don't have that you could have. And if you could have them, your life would be so much better than what you currently don't have. We're bombarded with messages that feed our sense of dissatisfaction. Well, this passage will tell us why is it that mankind is plagued with this, with this disease of living life unsatisfied. In this, in this text, we will see a lot of, lots of warnings regarding how we should see our possessions. Not that possessions are evil. This text will not say that. But when our hearts begin to love them, we get in trouble. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes presents us the vanity of 
setting our affections upon money, possessions, and wealth. Now, you might, you might think to yourself, listen, I, I'm not a wealthy person. I don't have much money. I'm just making it from month to month, uh, from paycheck to paycheck. Or you might think to yourself, listen, I'm a college student. Um, and college students, we're so glad you're here. You're, you're thinking of yourself, I am, I'm, I'm living on ramen noodles. Um, and uh, friends, when I was living on ramen noodles, I loved it. So you're, you're thinking, I, I, I don't even have money to pay my bills yet. I'm getting college loans so that I can pay for my stuff. I am not yet in danger of, of, these, of these dangers that this passage is talking about. I, I don't have money to, to, to love it. Well, friends, here's the bottom line. You don't need to have money to love it. Actually, for some people who are struggling to get by, they might look at money as a solution to escape the misery and the dissatisfaction they're in. They might long for the time when they will have more money and finally be happier, right? Right? In our text, we see at the very beginning uh, a picture of, of the poor. Look at verse 8 in, in chapter 5. The oppression of the poor. And we are told, and by the way, this is a surprising uh, advice. We are told when you see in a province the oppression of the poor, don't be amazed by it. Well, this is an interesting surprise. What do you mean, don't be amazed by it? Well, in a fallen world with structures of human authority that are, that are filled by humans who, who are sinners, the structures of human authority in a fallen world will become corrupt, exploiting the weak, taking advantage of the poor and the helpless. Why is it that the poor people have the highest interest rates? Just ways very practically that, that we see some of that in our own society. Now, of course, we should do something about it if we can. But here in this text, the preacher gives us another advice. He says, don't be amazed. Why not? Well, he's going to go and talk about the love of money. Greed. For the sake of the love of money, for the sake of greed, society oppress, oppresses the disadvantaged, the poor. Why is there injustice against them? Because those who have money or those who have, have power want to get more. So they, would, they will take it even from those who have less than them. Why are the poor oppressed and treated unjustly? Is it not because of greed and love of money? On this background, Ecclesiastes starts addressing the love of riches. If poverty has its dangers and risks, such as oppression and injustice, the preacher tells us, don't run for the alternative. Don't run in the opposite direction of thinking that somehow, if you could just have more stuff, you're going to live a better life. The alternative of poverty is not a better solution to the dissatisfactions of life. So be weary. Be cautious. The opposite of poverty is not a better solution. So therefore, as we look at this passage, there's going to be two big ideas, two big categories, two big parts into the this, into this sermon. The first one is simply this. Don't fall in love with possessions. Don't fall in love with possessions. It's as if the preacher says to us, before you set your heart on gaining possessions, on, on wealth, 
here's what you need to know about possessions and wealth. There's going to be five subpoints to this passage, to this one first point. Five subpoints. Five dangers, if you will. Five dangers of, of possessions and, and wealth and money. Now, here's the first one. Wealth cannot satisfy those who love it. Wealth cannot satisfy those who love it. Look at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. So, friends, guard your heart against falling in love with possessions. The love of money is a terrible love to have. Here's why. Because the moment you start loving money, money will no longer be able to satisfy you. The minute you, you fall for that love of money, that moment, it will stop satisfying you. A hungry man who eats will be satisfied. A thirsty man who drinks will be satisfied. But a man who loves money and gets money will not be satisfied with the money. When you, la when you love it, you will no longer be satisfied with your income. I love what Derek Kidner says. If anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it is the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than money. Friends, you don't have to be rich to love money. Poor people can suffer from this love just as the rich can suffer from this love. The issue is not whether or not we have money. The issue is whether or not we love money. Now, how do you know you love money? How do you know you might suffer from this love? Well, let me say some very clear, obvious things. You love it. How do you know you love money? It's when you love money. You, you love it. You love the idea of having money. You can't imagine being happy without it. You just can't. You can't think of life with less money and being satisfied with less money or very little money than what you currently have. You, you know you love money when money is more important than other things in your life, more important than relationships, more important than family, more important than even God himself. You know you love money when you sacrifice anything for the sake of money. The preacher reminds us that loving money is a bad love to have because it's actually the cause of our lack of satisfaction in this life. The love of money is a bad love to have because it's the root of the dissatisfaction that so much prevails over our society. Here's a second reason, a second danger why you should not fall in love with possessions because wealth attracts more dependents and consumers. Wealth attracts more dependents and consumers. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? When, when people become rich, when, when someone becomes rich and, and gets more, more stuff, they end up buying a, a, a nicer car, 
And then when, they, when the car breaks down, it costs more expensive, right? Because a, a more expensive car will cost more to keep up with it, right? Or people buy, you know, bigger homes, and they buy big homes so big that they cannot even clean them by themselves. So then they have to hire maids to take care of the inside of the house. And then they have to hire other workers to take care of the outside of the yard, right? When, when, when riches increase, you have to, 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 to buy more services. And then when, when riches increase, you have to hire a company who's going to invest your riches for you so you can get more in return, and then you have to pay them as well. Oh, friends, and then we have all kinds of services that, that when we ha- start having money, we start paying out. So that really what you end up having, you end up giving away. It's not all yours, is it? So just be aware of that. that the more you want, realize the more you'll consume, and actually you won't have it. Wealth attracts more dependents and consumers. Ecclesiastes is saying, realize that you will not be able to enjoy all the wealth you desire. Much of it will be consumed on others and by others. So at the end of the day, all that an owner can do with his riches is to see them gone. A third reason why you should not fall in love with possessions is wealth can take away the peaceful, peaceful rest. Wealth can take away the peaceful rest. Look at verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether he eats little, ramen noodles in my case, or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. My friends, this is not just a problem of the stomach not being able to let you sleep if you're too full. This is a picture of a rich man who is consumed with his worries. A laborer who works hard for his food, whether he has much to eat before he goes to bed or not, whether or not that's the case, he sleeps better than the one who is trapped in his riches. And he can't go to sleep because he's worried, worried what will happen to him, whether the stock market will crash, what, whether the economy will go down, whether his investments will, will, will flip. He's worried whether he's u- really using his investments the best way, and he's wondering how he can get more of his stuff. People think that they should pursue wealth to live better, but they don't realize that with the increase of, of riches, the ability to rest restfully is also affected. People worry about their possessions, about their security, about their safety. And really, they cannot actually enjoy this life because of the fear of that. They can't sleep well at night because of the fear of that. So be careful. Wealth can take away the peaceful rest. The fourth reason why we should not fall in love with with possessions is wealth can actually hurt us. Wealth can actually hurt us hurt us. Look at verse 13. We see, we see a picture of an owner who kept his riches to his own hurt. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Now friends, can riches hurt us? Yes, they can. For the sake of money, Relationships are broken. 
for the sake of not sharing an inheritance, a couple would rather divorce. People want to have smaller and smaller families so they can have more stuff to enjoy possessions-wise. For the sake of money, we actually destroy our lives. But worst of all, for the sake of money, we can actually destroy our spiritual lives, our souls. Remember the rich young ruler? Came to Jesus once and uh, he asked Jesus, what must he do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, the Bible is very clear that there's nothing you can do in terms of good deeds to inherit the kingdom of God. Not even selling your possessions would get you to earn you the right to, to, to inherit the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus tells him a very surprising answer. To sell what you have, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. To enter the kingdom of heaven, we must follow Jesus. Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. But Jesus would not allow us to follow him while our hearts are actually more attracted to our possessions than to Jesus. Following Jesus without understanding that he is the greatest treasure, you miss it. You misunderstand what Jesus is ultimately about. So we're told that when this young rich ruler heard the, the words of Jesus to go and sell he, what he possesses and then follow Jesus, when he heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His love of money led him to turn Jesus down. He would rather keep his money than follow Jesus. Friends, when we're caught in the love of money, money can actually hurt us because it will keep us away from pursuing God with all our hearts. It gives us the impression that we can pursue God and yet keep our treasures, and yet keep our hearts on our treasures. There are many things we can love in this life and not cause us any harm. But the love of money is harmful to our soul. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Friends, again, it's not money that is the root of evil but the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evils. This craving even led some to wander away from the faith. Oh, friends, the love of money can hurt us terribly because it leads us to move, us, to move away from God. At first, it happens very sm in small steps, things you don't even recognize. You have to choose between whether you're going to do things for God or you're going to do things to pursue making money and making more money. Those choices are very subtle in the day-to-day -day experiences. Friends, Jesus warned us that we should not be content with trying to follow God and love money as well. Actually, Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he would hate the one and love the other, or he would be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. People are happy to love God as long as money doesn't get in the way. Right? 
soon as money gets in the way, people start thinking, if this is what God is about, I'm out of here. You actually start despising God when God wants to see what your heart is truly set on. Friends, it's not about the fact that God wants to be poor. Don't, don't, it's not about that. It's about the fact that God is testing us to see on what things are our hearts set on. So be careful. Wealth can actually hurt us if we love it. The final reason why we should not love, fall in love with possessions, wealth can actually be lost. Wealth can be lost. Look at verse 14. Those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's a father of a son. He has nothing in his hand. Even though this owner, this person in this picture, tried to accumulate riches to leave to his kids, a bad thing happened, a bad, bad experience. He lost everything. He can't even give an inheritance to his children. So the teacher in Ecclesiastes says in verse 15, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. And the man who has lost everything, all the possessions he has loved, will be left with nothing to hold on except, look at verse 17, except darkness, vexation, sickness, and anger. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, sickness, and anger. Friends, to eat in darkness all the days of his life refers not simply to the lack of light, it doesn't mean that simply, you know, you, you can't even pay your bills and you, you're going to have to eat with no electricity on. That's not the picture here. The picture here is of a man for whom life no longer counts. Everything is dark. There's nothing to live life for. When you have lost everything on which you have put your heart on, there's nothing to live life for. And the losing of his riches have made him sick and a slave of anger. Anger towards God, anger towards people, anger towards society. Friends, when people suffer from the love of money, the loss of money is utterly devastating. So Ecclesiastes gives us five limitations, five dangers of wealth and why we should not love it. It can't satisfy us. It can't, it can't attract more consumers. It can take away the peaceful rest. It can hurt us. It can be lost. Don't fall in for the love of money. Don't fall for it. But what's the alternative? What's the other option that the Ecclesiastes gives us? The other option is enjoy God's daily provisions. Enjoy God's daily provisions. A big shift happens in chapter uh, 5, verse 18. Uh, up until now, we read about the vanity, about what's grievous, what's evil. Look at verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Friends, the alternative is not simply to eat and drink. The alternative is to find enjoyment in all the toil. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say find enjoyment in the riches. It says find enjoyment in the toil. Finding enjoyment not in the paycheck you get from your work, but find enjoyment in what you do in the toil. And notice it doesn't say find enjoyment in some of the toil. 
It says, find enjoyment in all the toil. Here we have a picture of a person who has found a way to enjoy his life with all its dimensions, even though he is the, the poor one who has to toil hard for every penny that he earns. But how can you do that? How can a man enjoy all his toil in his life? Well, the answer is given in our own text. By reorienting our life, all of life, back towards God. Look at verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God. How can a man enjoy his toil and rejoice in his toil? It's by having a right view of God as a source of all life. That everything we have, even though we earned it, we didn't earn it on our own. Even if you had to work hard for it, it's still the gift of God. Yes, the work that we do to earn our living is our, our toil, but it's also the gift of God. Friends, this means that we start looking at our lives with humility, not with entitlement. We look at our own lives not as belonging to us, but as dependent upon God and having our source in God in everything we have. One of the signs, friends, one of the signs that we see all of life as a gift of God is the presence of thankfulness in our lives. We look at our lives and what we have, what we earn, not as belonging to us, not as simply that which we deserve, but as that which God gives us. And since we see it as a gift, then life becomes a life of thankfulness, doesn't it? When you realize that all that you have is a gift, you're thankful. Friends, this orientation of life towards God, realizing Him as a fountain of everything that we have, is only possible when we, when we understand and, and respond back to God and His salvation. One of the fruits of, of, of being saved, one way you know that someone is truly saved there's many ways, but one way that you know someone is truly saved is whether or not thankfulness abounds in his life, regardless of the situation. That's one of the things that, that salvation does in us. But notice that God not only gives us possessions, God gives us the ability to enjoy them. In chapter 6, we see a contrast. In chapter 6, we go back to a, a, a picture of evil. This time, the contrast is with, with a, the picture of, of, chapter 15, of chapter 5 in which a, a man who had a lot, had possessions, God gave him, but God gave him the ability to enjoy those possessions as well. In chapter 6, we see a similar man. A God, look at verse, at verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. We have these then two pictures of, of, of what this person looks like. Two pictures, and these pictures are exaggerations. A picture of a man who can, can have a hundred children. In verse 3, 
And then a picture of a man who can live 2,000 years in verse 6. And the preacher gives us these scenarios. Yeah, what if you had a person who had such a large family, he had 100 kids. Can you imagine the grandkids that would come out of that? Large family. But he's not able to enjoy the goods of life. Or then you have in verse 6, even though he should live 1,000 years twice, do the math, that's 2,000 years. Yet enjoy no good. Here's a person who, who can live a long life, but not able to enjoy it. Of course, these are exaggerations. The point he's saying is the ability to live life without enjoying it and be satisfied with it is a great evil. Even if you had many possessions, even if you had a large family, even if you had a long life, the preacher says in verse 3, a stillborn child is better off than such a man. Yes, God can give possessions and wealth and honor to all kinds of people. But to some, he doesn't give them the ability to enjoy them. Why not? Because they're not looking to God for it. And here God wants us to bring, and and the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes wants to hammer home a very important point. Having riches and having the ability to enjoy them are not the same thing. And they're not related. Riches and possessions don't have the ability, the inherent ability to make you enjoy them. Not for long. God has to give not only the riches and the possessions, He also has to give us the ability to enjoy them. They're separate things. And God wants us to see that don't look at possessions as, as somehow carrying in them this package of, of the ability to enjoy them. They come without that. God has to give it. God has to give us the ability to enjoy. Friends, that's why it's not enough simply to have possessions or wealth. That's why don't fall in love for them. Because they will not give you the ability to enjoy them. The ability to enjoy these must come from God. I love what Derek Kidner said. The world itself is made to say to us in the only language that we will most, most likely listen to, there is no place to rest in this world. Only God can give us the ability to rest in this world. Don't seek the enjoyment on your own terms. Seek God and He will enable you to to find the enjoyment of life, even in in the daily things of life. To look at what you have in your daily life and to see every aspect of your life, even what you don't have, even your lacks, even the things you, 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 you realize you would like to have but you don't, look at all those through God's perspective. God is able to give you the ability to enjoy everything that you have even the little of it. And you'll be thankful when you do so. Friends, the love of money is such a serious disease that when the Bible gives the qualifications for who can become a pastor or an elder or a shepherd, one of the qualifications for shepherds and pastors is that they should not be 
lovers of money. Yes, a man can disqualify himself from being a spiritual leader of a church if he falls in the trap of being a lover of money. God wants to protect his church from being shepherded by people who fall in this trap. And by the way, this is not just for pastors. This is for all Christians. But pastors must model what it means not to love money. Now, if someone is interested more in making money than in serving the Lord with their lives, if someone is willing to make more sacrifices for their job, for, for, for possessions, than for the Lord, watch out. How sad that today there are preachers who actually preach a gospel that feeds on the love of money. A gospel that promises that if you turn to God, He will give you more possessions. He will give you more stuff. He will make you more happy and give you more blessings here on earth. The gospel of wealth and wellness. Oh, friends, how, how big of a lie that is. That we are actually preaching Jesus by feeding on people's love of money. Feeding on that and, 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 and working on that. Oh, friends, the gospel is exactly the opposite of that. As a matter of fact, Jesus, for the sake of saving us, he who was rich became poor. He left his heavenly glory in order to be born like us here on an earth in which there's oppression and injustice. And even his birth is characterized, was characterized by all the marks of poverty. Born in a manger. At one point, one of his, some of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, we want to follow you. And Jesus said, the Son of Man does not even have a, a cushion on which to rest his head. Christ came. He left his, his riches and glory in order to provide a way for sinners like us who are enslaved in the love of money, in the love of this earth, to rescue us from our rebellion, from our, our loves of creation, and to bring us back to understand that the love of God is the greatest love that we can have. It's the only love that doesn't enslave us. It's a love that frees us in Christ Jesus in the story of the gospel, we're actually given the only way that we can be healed from the love of money. Friends, if you don't understand the news about Christianity, or perhaps you do understand it, but you, you have your own version of it that is not actually true or correct. It's a distortion of it. The new, good news of the gospel is that God, the great creator, the one who owns all things, is angry with us because we have rebelled against him. And we deserve his righteous punishment. But yet, he's not just angry with our rebellion. He's also merciful and has provided a way for rebellious sinners to be rescued from their enslavement in slavery to rebellion. And to bring us back to himself and to, to bring us back to the first love of loving our creator, not the created things. And when sinners realize that God has provided that way of salvation... And that way was through Christ who lived that sinless life, that perfect life, and yet died on the cross in our place. And three days later, he was re resurrected from the dead. When sinners realize that, that God has done that for us, and when sinners repent of their sin and trust in Christ for salvation, God unshackles, breaks a bondage, breaks the love of creation, 
and brings in our own hearts a love for the Creator, brings a new life. Oh, friend, if you never understood this gospel, I pray that you would, you would respond today to this gospel. That indeed, the only way for us to be healed from the love of money and from the love of this creation is by falling in love with our Creator, surrendering to Him, giving Him all that we have. Friends, it is only in that sense that the gospel frees us from the love of this world, from the love of money and possessions. And when God heals us, from such destruct, destructive love, we are enabled to enjoy His provisions on a daily basis, even our daily bread. That's why the Lord taught us to be thankful to God, even for our daily bread, even for our clothing. If we have food and clothing, that should be enough. Really? Oh, friends, how I wish and pray that we as a church would be a church in which thankfulness and joyfulness abounds, not because we have possessions, not because we're putting our, our, our hearts on, on what we have, but because we're putting our hearts on the kingdom of God, seeking Him, and seeking Him enables us to enjoy the smallest of provisions that God gives us. May that be a display of the power of His grace as people see in us a people full of thankfulness and joyfulness because truly we are thankful to God for everything.